This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we speak with Alicia Rule, who's in a very competitive race for state representative in the 42nd Legislative District. This was recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, October 13th. We will talk next with Alicia Rule. She is a member of the Blaine City Council. She is also a small business owner and community volunteer and is the past president of the Blaine Downtown Development Association. She is running for state representative in position one in the 42nd LD. This is a district that includes Blaine, Bellingham, Linden, Lemmy, Everson, and Ferndale. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Hello, I'm doing well. How are y'all doing tonight? We're doing great. It is good to see you again. Uh, So, you know, I will just start here with you. When we first spoke uh, a few months ago, we were still kind of assessing the damage of the pandemic at that point and how it was impacting your district, how we might address the recovery. You've been busy as a member of the Blaine City Council and community volunteer uh, helping out in the recovery. I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing during that time. Sure. Thank you. It has been uh, a blink of an eye and a very long time all at the same time. The the pandemic experience has been a large part of this campaign, not the full part, but um, most of it. And in the beginning, we saw different things than we see now. But for me personally, my small business was hit really hard. Um, Most of our practice fell apart and bottomed out within about 48 hours. Uh, that was terrifying. I packed up my things. I came home where my children were not in school and thought, now what? Um, I think there are many small business owners who could probably uh, relate with that in lots of ways. Um, Nonetheless, we've reconvened everything that we're doing. We've rebuilt with a new model and um, all that's happened during the campaign. Lots of other small business owners have done the very same thing in all kinds of creative and a variety of ways. In that really initial part of the pandemic, it was really about meeting people's immediate needs. And so that meant organizing food for people who needed it and organizing uh, homemade masks. I mean, we didn't even know. We were kind of trying to figure it out as we were going, but we're day to day watching the news and trying to figure out what this meant and how we could best help people. So that's really what I did at a really grassroots level initially. Uh, As we learned a little bit more on the city level, we were doing emergency response essentially, and then making a lot of decisions about how do we treat staff and who, you know, who comes into the office and what does it look like if we do remote uh, business in a city and all kinds of questions that we hadn't really thought of an answer before this. But then we've really seen some pretty neat things. Our community, not surprisingly, got creative in solving a lot of problems. And it was neat to see people come together, especially in those early times. We saw the amount of homemade mask making in this community was really, would just blow you away. Um, And these people were making masks, you know, enough to make their hands hurt. So organizing that was kind of a big effort at the time. But then we rolled out into doing more official city work. And a lot of the things that I focused on was how can we support small businesses? Historically, in my Blaine City Council role, I've worked really hard with our small businesses in building a downtown and rejuvenating that area, which has been incredibly helpful to our local economy. 
and the the threat that this pandemic made um, toward those business owners, which are our neighbors and our friends, was palpable. So we have done a lot of things to be able to support them at a city level. And then, of course, worked with state and federal government to and, and private to put together a package that works to support small businesses. And that went from everything from small, uh, you know, low interest loans. We did a lot of changes around where people could open their restaurants and where people, where and how people could do business, really thinking about new solutions to uh, a new problem that quickly had to be solved, which is how do we keep people safe, but we need to keep people moving and keep people coming and doing business in Blaine. That is the $64,000 question, isn't it? I mean, given everything that we've learned, how do we going forward balance the public health needs with economic needs? Well, I think one of the key factors that we we learned in the pandemic, we already knew this, but to actually experience it, um, it became very clear very quickly that our workforce is our economy and we have to keep our workers safe and healthy. And if we don't do that, our economy will never recover. So um, I think we continue moving forward with the new information that we have, the newer information. We certainly know, we don't know everything. There are a lot of questions out there that are still looming, but we do know a lot more than we did in the very beginning. And one of the things is just that, you know, masks do really help uh, stop the spread of this. So we can now know with that information, this is really helpful. We can do some things if we're wearing a mask. Um, outdoors is even better. So we have been thinking on the Blaine City Council, what can we do to grow and support business, knowing those two things and pushing a lot of things outdoors. Um, Moving forward at the state level, those values still have to be pushing us forward. We have to be able to make sure that workers are safe and protected in their workplace. We have to make sure that they have the opportunity to have enough space amongst themselves and that they have access to PPE, which I would love to see made right here in Washington state, instead of waiting on a foreign country to supply us with what we need to stay safe. Yeah, I mean, I know that this is a big part of your platform, job development. Uh, you said that the middle class is uh, is endangered in the 42nd. I'm wondering if you could just get uh, a little more specific about in what ways and then how and where you would like to see uh, more well-paying jobs in your district. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, this is one of the main reasons I ran in the first place before we knew that a pandemic was even coming. Uh, I have three kids. They're the fifth generation in my family to live in this county. So my great-grandparents immigrated here to start farming. And my whole family still lives here. We love it. And it's really nice to be able to stay connected to all those those folks. And I don't want to move. And I definitely want my children to have the opportunity to be able to stay here. But here's the reality for, for them and for really all the voters that I've been talking to. This is tough because the wages just are not keeping up with the cost of housing that just continues to skyrocket. Now add a pandemic and all the economic uncertainty, and we haven't seen uh, the cost of housing go down. In fact, we've seen it go up. So the real people who are at risk are the people who are having a hard time before and maybe renters who now have to think about, will somebody be selling my my home and do I have enough saved up to be able to move and what do rents elsewhere look like? And I hear this over and over and over talking with voters. Um, So I really think a lot about what ways can we support our economy better? I think we need to increase manufacturing jobs here. I think we need to look at 
um, supporting union jobs because those come with the wages that we need. And I think we need to support our small businesses. In Whatcom County, we really do have a lot more small businesses than a lot of other places. It's not only a practical issue for us, but it's really something that's important to us. We like character here. We like the, the, uh, you know, the idea of supporting our neighbor and supporting our friends in their business. Um, and we've just got a lot of folks who have poured their whole hearts into their small business. So I'd love to be able to support them better moving through this. You're touching on a lot of things here, uh, housing uh, and, and, and other areas. And a lot of this, I think, on your platform comes down to issues of equity and access. And another big part of your platform is child care. Um, you are, you know, you would like to lower cost and increase access. And we know that this is such an important area for working families, especially right now. How do you see the legislative role in all this in helping families and individuals uh, get greater access to child care? Well, this is one of those pieces of the puzzle that just isn't working for a lot of people at a, a ground level. Uh, as a mother of three, I can tell you firsthand that this is something that impacts me every day. Um, quality childcare, it's not just access, but quality childcare. Our children deserve good quality early learning. And that's an investment that pays off in not only our economic state, but also we're investing in our future. So I, I believe that our children deserve that. And I also believe that our families deserve options and choices that fit them. Um, this is also an economic question because we have a lot of families who just aren't able to make this work. It's the, it's the squeeze again. It's one of the pieces that just doesn't work for people. So I'm really proud of being able to support the Boys and Girls Club here in Blaine. Um, that's something that we have had to work really hard, you know, facing difficult budget decisions every step of the way, it's we have to choose what's important to us. And we have continued over the years to support our local Boys and Girls Club because we know it's how people can work. Um, that piece of the economy, it's not only supporting families in their day-to-day -day life, but it's supporting their ability to work and contribute to our economy and keep it moving. Without childcare, it's very, very difficult to be able to keep people working. And then, of course, another area of inequity is health care. Uh, we, we see this all the time. And I, I'm wondering how you see the pathway to access to affordable health care for Washington. You have interesting ideas here. Yeah, I really see this every day because I'm working uh, in the healthcare field. So what's really hard on families is that most families are paying exorbitant amount of money just to have health insurance. And then when they go to use it, it's not paying what they need. So the last figure I saw, I think was a family of four is paying something around $29,000 a year just for healthcare on an average. And that's not, you know, obviously that's not considering if you have a major, major issue. Um, that's untenable. <laughs> we just can't continue like that. That in, in the piece of this middle-class squeeze that I keep talking about, is one of the places we've got to get those prescription drug costs down that also impacts our seniors quite a bit. And uh, I'd love to be able to see us work harder to keep building out some of the things that are working. I am so grateful that we live in a state where children especially have access to good health care through uh, Apple Care, And I do appreciate that very much. And I don't take that for granted. I think we need to continue building on these these building blocks where we have um, the opportunity to support families by a lot of different options that work for them. 
I regret that we have limited time. I really do. There are always so many more questions that I want to ask them than we actually are able to get to. But one specifically, you, you mentioned your work as a mental health care professional. So let's talk about that. Um, there are gaps in our mental health coverage that have really been coming to light. I mean, this, this, was, uh, this came up in the gubernatorial debate. So this is something that's getting a lot of attention. Maybe just talk a little bit about the, the impact of the pandemic on mental health and the need for expanded mental health services is right now? Well, the trouble is we had a, a major problem before the pandemic even hit. Um, I have had teenagers or other clients come to my door and say, I just spent all, you know, my office door, I just spent all night at the emergency room. Um, I'm still suicidal. There's nowhere for me to go. Can you help me? And when you look at the eyes of those teenagers that I'm, there's two I'm thinking of in particular, and know that they're standing there holding a, a list of outpatient therapists that are awful and all pretty well inaccessible for people who don't have a lot of money. It's terrifying to think how many people that's impacting. Uh, I can also think of times when I've had clients who are survivors of sexual assault who have had uh, folks do their exam that aren't specialized in this area. There's all these kind of different ways that we are failing our folks because this is, you know, mental health issues, they can impact anybody on any given day. I don't work in an area and I've done a lot of different jobs, not just private practice. I never have worked in an area that I'm working with people who are different than you or me. This is just our people. In fact, I think I saw today about 40%, 40 to 50, depending on uh, the detail of the stat, of people are experiencing depression and anxiety that have hit clinical levels during this pandemic. So not only was it a problem before at every level, but now we're looking at it being a real crisis. People don't have access to any level of, of care. And you know, never mind the fact that chronically mentally ill people really don't have a plan. They're, they're, we don't have a plan for them. And that is often a danger to them and a danger to society and a public safety issue. We're very fortunate to have you doing the work that you do. Um, I, I will just say that. I, we, let's end here because um, when we spoke uh, in preparation for this, you said that you see this election as a referendum on how we see ourselves as people in, in kind of a value-based way and what sort of country we want to be and what values we would like to guide us. So I'll just ask your thoughts generally on that and then also how you're seeing that play out in your race. You know, this one's a really tough one because it feels really personal, but I have really been reflecting on why I am running for office and why it is that someone like me would step up and do something really hard and sometimes really go against the grain of just the local culture here. But as the election has moved forward, both in my race and on a and on national level, the question that just keeps coming to mind to me is who who are we? Who are we and who do we want to be? My whole family and my community raised me right here in Whatcom County, and they raised me with these values that were very strong in, in every way, whether it be the school or my family or neighbors, that was we really take care of each other. And when things get hard, we step up and we help each other out. And that is something that's never been partisan. And how we treat each other has never been partisan. And all of a sudden I'm facing this question of how do we, who, who are we? Who are we and who do we want to be? 
And what values do we want to leave in our community on a day-to-day basis for our children and our grandchildren? And I really think that it really comes down to that at every piece of legislation. And we've got to look at how are we treating each other? How are we treating each other and, and who do we want to be? It's a great question, um, and I think it's one that we're currently trying to uh, we're, we're trying to sort that out um, race by race here. Um, I'll just ask you before I let you go, uh, what sort of help do you need on your campaign? Thank you. Yes, we would love your help in any way that suits you. Uh, we've got phone banking going on every night, and we have text banking, and we certainly could use any financial support that feels right because getting the word out in a pandemic comes with extra challenges. And that's really what it takes. Well, I wish you the best. You are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. And Alicia's campaign website is votealiciarule.com. Thanks to Alicia. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Anjievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Fysier. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell and his always my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.